You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. The downside of recording every couple of weeks with this team right now is that apparently streaking is what they do. So you get a variety of emotions every time you listen to The Bannerman. And if that wasn't bad enough, apparently now we have to talk about one of our guys biting another one. (laughs) This is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? Good, man. Good. Happy to be back at it. Uh, like you said, mixed bag, definitely, since the last time we recorded. I think our last episode was November 5th. As usual, life gets in the way. Holidays. Holidays. Family. Things. You know. Kids. <laughs> but here we are. And I don't know, a bit up and down, emotionally and hockey-wise. How do you... How do you yeah. To clarify... When I said one of our guys bit another one, he did not bite another one of our guys. That we know of. That we know of. Um, still a young season. Things <laughs> I don't know. Things can happen. Um, but yeah, up and down. I think it's disappointing. I feel disappointed. And you could... Yes, injuries, of course. Walker and Dowdy, key. I am not downplaying that at all. Um, but when you go on a seven-game winning streak and you follow that up by by a five-game losing streak, you basically undid that entire winning streak in like two weeks. Especially because that winning streak was coming on the heels of them having lost like five, six games before that too. So it's it's the ups and the downs. And I think a lot of people will say something along the lines of like, well, it's a young team and there's learning and there's adjusting, but which is, yeah. Yeah. I'll give you some of that. Yeah. Some, some, but again, Um, you got to remember, and this is how I feel. And I know, again, I know injuries. Yes. And Velarde not playing well by field. I get all that, but there was so much promise, or at least there was before, (laughs) before the summer was up. Um, there was a lot of, you know, next step talk, competing talk. And I, a part of this is because I've looked at the December schedule mm-hmm. and it is murderer's row for the Kings. It's not, I anticipate it won't be fun. So th- I think that's why there's a somber kind of feel for me with the team and where they're headed. And my worry is that we're looking at another lost season for Andre Kopitar, who, as great as he's doing, and some would argue he's not doing that great lately, but as great as he's doing, Father Time is still undefeated. And at some point, the sand is going to stop trickling down the hourglass. I'm sorry, I'm sounding like Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, I know. I know. really dark. I'm not trying to, yeah. Is he dying? I'm not aware. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I don't want another wasted season with these guys. And it seems like unless things take a dramatic turn that we're kind of headed there. There's still games to play. Let's get out of December. And if if we come out of December positively, then my tune will change. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, they're playing... um against their best stretch of opponents, I would say, in December. Bunch of games with uh, Edmonton, Washington, Florida, Tampa, like 
legit, not just playoff teams, but cup contenders. Um, and it doesn't bode well for them. It doesn't bode well because, uh, you know, they've, they've had a tough time putting away teams that they should have been putting away. Uh, and as you and I kind of in our conversations have realized when they've beaten good teams, it seems like they've caught those good teams more so on a bad day than they've outplayed them necessarily in an even game. You know, for example, uh, shortly after our last episode, they went to Toronto and they beat Toronto five to one. Right. Yeah. And I don't think anyone in their right mind looks at that score and goes, clearly the Kings are that much better than Toronto. I think even, you know, no matter how you dice it, um, they just, Toronto didn't look good that game and the Kings looked great. Right. Um, but I think the reality is on paper, Toronto's a better team and more often than not, they're going to beat a team like the Kings. So for the Kings to, to gain spots in the standings, they have to be able to put away the Winnipeg's, the Arizona's, you know, these games that, that they're winning or even, even against Carolina, they ended up losing five, four and Carolina again is like Toronto and is a much better team, but the Kings had opportunities there to catch up and to put that game away, but they just played terribly against Washington. It was essentially a one zero game. And then they lost, it was a zero, sorry, it was a zero zero game. And then they lost on just the dumbest goal in a, in a pretty evenly played match. And I guess that's what I'm saying is that they, they're playing like an average team because they are an average team. And I think all of the stat projections and, and point projections at the beginning of the season said as much. And really the only thing that you could hope for was either huge steps from some of your younger guys, some of the things that the stats can't predict or guys like Byfield coming in and really just being that kind of star rookie that the Kings probably have not had since I want to say Kopitar and Doughty, you know, a guy who comes in and is like immediately a 50, 60 point guy. So some of this is, is expected and unfortunate that it's expected because if it's expected and if the statistics and the overall look of the team projects as much, then you would hope that there was more preparation for this kind of an outcome as well in terms of how the team was built. And there just wasn't, there really just wasn't. They are who we thought they were (laughs) to quote. Yeah. um, You brought up Byfield and some of these rookies. I think you mentioned this to me and it was a good point is that none of these, no one's really hit yet on that level. Right. You know, you, you've been kind of restocking the cupboard. You have a deep prospect pool, but, no one's really come out and hit yet. It's like some of these other teams have, have really great rookies that are coming down in their first year. I'm talking about 19 years old, Lucas Raymond for right. Detroit, and they're just making like an immediate, immediate impact on the team. Um, they're also being given the opportunity to do so, by the mm-hmm. way. Yeah, ultimately, it just seems like another holding pattern kind of season where, you know, maybe the steps will come later, like the big steps forward. But right now, it just I feel like there's more questions than answers with the yeah. team in general. Yeah, it just feels like more of the same. It really does. It feels like more of the same. And 
maybe things could have been different had Dowdy and Walker not gone down, had Pyfield not gotten hurt as early as he did, but this is the reality of it, and it's a results business, and I just don't know what the results of this season are going to look like. But I'm worried for the same reason that you are with what's coming up for us in December. Yeah, and this is uh, coming off a win mm-hmm. for the Kings. Yeah. Breaking again, a five-game losing streak. Right, but a win that, had they lost, would have been... Catastrophic. Yeah, just like that loss against Arizona. I mean, that, that there's nothing... that I know it's an overtime loss. I know they got a point out of it, but that is that is an embarrassing loss for this team. Tell you what, the Winnipeg Jets lost to Arizona one nothing tonight. And that's an embarrassing loss for them, and too. Vamelka made close to 50 saves. <laughs> and they were of the 10-bell variety. Yeah. He's a gamer. Had, you you brought him up. Winnipeg. You, had, you brought up Vamelka many, many episodes ago. Yeah, and I butchered his last name at the time, so sorry, dude. But yeah. I know your name now. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Yeah, he's a gamer. You mentioned it then, and you were absolutely right. But... I don't know. And I, I tweeted this, but these one goal losses are going to, are going to haunt them. I think this is like the fifth or sixth one goal loss that they have already dating back to the beginning of the season. And a lot of those one goal losses, I'm not talking like, Oh, it was, it was six, five. It was a scoring spree. It's, it's literally these two, one, three, two games where you're just like, can anyone please finish? Can anyone just put a puck in the net? And more and more, it just seems like we do not have that guy. We were hoping that maybe Arvidsson was going to be that guy. I think that's, I think that's clearly not his game. I think you and I had talked that like if he if he ends up being a a twenty twenty guy, then that's that's great. But I don't think that that's what they traded for. I think they were really hoping to get more out of him. Brown has been a shell of who he was last season, and. Some of that obviously is attributable to his lofty power play goal numbers from last year, which anyone who's watched the games can tell you that our power play is incredibly anemic at the moment. There's just yeah. a lot wrong, man. There's just a lot that feels wrong with this team, and I can't put my finger on one thing in particular. I think I can. Ah, can you now? I mean, look, it's... God, I'm no, so it's, tired it's, of saying it's that... It's a fair point. It's a fair point, so I'm going to let you have it. Go no, for no, it. No, no, I got two things. The okay. first thing is, is finishing. Is putting the puck in the net at an opportune time or a key time in the game. It's happened once or twice this season, but it just has not happened. I, my first game in three years, live game I went to this season, Kings mm-hmm. and Capitals, because I was like, hey, Ovi's in town. Schedules are crazy. Life is crazy. I don't know when I'll get the opportunity. You know, he's getting up there in age. Obviously, he's going to play till he breaks the record. So, um, <laughs> I was let's. I was like, let's go. Let's see a game. Let me watch Ovechkin and. And shout outs to uh, to cousin Joe. Yeah, for, hooking it up for that one. Hooking it up, big uh, Bannerman fan, and obviously a family member of mine. But he was very excited to go, and uh, he said because of your podcast. I'm inviting both of you out, my tree. Obviously, you couldn't make it because you're in San Diego. Yeah. But I, I, I took him up on it, and we had a great time. Don't get me wrong. But the game itself, my God. 
low event hockey at its finest. And it was, Kings had chances, man. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, Kempe had a few looks. Kelly oh, no, Samsonov was great. Samsonov was, was outstanding, by far the best player on the ice. But again, getting a goal when you need it the most just seemingly has not happened mm-hmm. for the Kings yet. That's That's kind of my takeaway from this. Um, and I, and I think what you're alluding to is I think my growing frustration with Todd McClellan as the Kings coach, you know, you could talk about line combos, D pairings, who you have out there in, in special teams all day long, but I just feel like he's running a passive system, especially on the four check. We've talked about this before. I hate the one man passive four check. Like some people call it a one, three, one. I do not like it. Mm-hmm. I think it is designed to force a dump in. It, and I think when you design something to force a dump in, you are now putting the pressure on your D to to retrieve and make yeah. yeah retrieve and make a clean pass out. And with Dowdy out, with Walker out, I just don't understand why you would continue to do that. Mm-hmm. Even with them, I don't understand why you would do that. Granted, they're they have a good first pass. Dowdy can skate it out of trouble most times, sure. But overall, it screams to me, let's let's wait for them to make a mistake so we can we can do something. Which, again, that's okay. Hockey's all of hockey is based on mistakes. All everyone's doing is capitalizing on mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. But we have, you look at the forward roster, you have some ferocious forecheckers on this team. Right. Some guys that will skate through a wall. And if you send two in on the forecheck, and if it's, you know, whether it's Deneau, Arvidsson, Ayafalo, hell, even Kempe, if he gets on his horse, you know, there's a lot of speedy guys, more Athanasio. I think these guys, just based on their speed alone, would be great forecheckers. And I think when you go to the one three one as often as he does, you're eliminating that aspect of their game. Mm-hmm. And you're giving their D clean outs. Yeah, you know, you line up on the red line, you force the dump in. It's a possession game, I understand. But I don't like it as as a fan. I've played, I coach. I don't, I, I've never liked it. And I, I think it's a – it should be reserved for situations where you absolutely need to protect the lead, where you absolutely need to force dump-ins and then hopefully retrieve and get it out and have them do it all over again. Yeah, and to your point, a couple of names that you didn't bring up there, Lazat and Lemieux, who've been there very successful yeah. in the in the last few weeks with that fourth line. And truly, it doesn't matter who you put as a third forward. I think, respectfully to Arthur Kelly, who has been on that line, Lazat and Lemieux as a pair have been very, very effective because they're tenacious players. They... You know they forecheck well, and they and they annoy the defensemen, and they force turnovers, and that's what they've been successful in doing. A lot of their goals have been of that variety. And what's interesting is looking, thinking back to a couple of their goals, it almost seems like they broke from the one-three-one when they got those goals, or they kind of did it at a half strength, where the one guy would get there, and as soon as they would realize that oh, he's got something here. He's got an opportunity. He's, he's setting up a turnover. The second guy would, would come right in. Uh, you know, I remember at least a couple goals like that where Lazat forced the turnover and Lemieux was there to capitalize. 
you know, that kind of thing. And I think it's a good point. I think, and you can make the argument that like, like, well, if the system was successful, if this one, three, one that he's been using more often than not the last several years had shown success in the form of winning games, et cetera, then yeah, keep doing it. But I, I, I agree with you that I don't necessarily see the results for what he is trying to push. And whether that's because our, our back end is not talented enough to capitalize on that, or maybe our transition game is not quick enough, or maybe he's just not playing to the strengths of the players. I, I don't know. I think there's, there's a bit of stubbornness in his coaching to say the least. Yes. And, and again, that's okay. If, if you've done it for one season, two seasons, different players, you're trying to instill a system that you're confident is going to work. But a lot of this roster is unchanged now going on three seasons. But similarly, the results are unchanged. They're still losing games the same way. The offense is still a problem. I, I keep looking at stats and whereas they initially started as generating decent amounts of chances and, and whatever, if you look at the trend, it's all been trending downward, yeah. even when they win in games. Yeah, yeah the, it's all regressing and and nothing changes. Nothing changes. Like the line combinations change, but the approach ends up being the same. So at that point, you're basically saying there's nothing wrong with the system. There's something wrong with how the players are executing the system. That's that's how I read into it. Yeah, and that may be, that may be a fact. I think as a coach, your job is to look at your personnel and figure out how to get the most out of them. And that's based, what I mean. Based on, yeah, based on the names you have on your roster. I think that's, I don't think it's wise to be married to one thing regardless of what's happening. I think in many ways, Daryl Sutter, I'm trying to think if, I was going to say he was guilty of that towards the end because he didn't have the horses to run his 2-1. I think Daryl would do a 2-1-2 where he would send two four checkers in and have the mm-hmm. F3 high so that in case they cause a turnover, the F3 would be high sliding into the slot for a chance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they couldn't retrieve or it, it was an unsuccessful forecheck, F3 is there to come back as as the high guy to support the play. They ran that a lot when they were right. winning Stanley Cups. Um, and I think, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't remember telling you the truth. I don't, I block out some of those later years for Daryl. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he just kept running it regardless of who you had at that point so yeah i just the pairings too man i the i think to me that's a lesser problem although yeah sometimes when i see certain guys in and kale clay out and i'm wondering like okay just because sean dursey's an offensive defenseman you can't have two offensive defensemen because which I don't understand because they're puck movers and you're running a system where you're forcing a dump in. Anyway, we can do this all day. Yeah. Uh, but again, you can, you can analyze and sub-analyze and blame the pairings all you want, but it's a results business and the results have not been there and the results continue to not be there. And the overall trend right now is that the results are not going to change. So at what point do you decide that you need to change your approach to what you're doing? And I think it's quickly approaching that point in McClellan's tenor a little bit in my yeah. mind. My faith has been shaken for Todd. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't think we were ever over the moon. I think in the beginning we were excited because it was 
a, a drastic change up and down. It wasn't just, you know, the coach. Right. But, uh, you know, and he was coming off of Willie Desjardins, which is nothing <laughs> yeah. but positives when that happened. I don't care who yeah. you are. When Willie's yeah. out, you're in. We're going to feel good about it. Um, but now I, I think, think we were hopeful that, you know, he had, we were used to his system in San Jose, which always seemed offensively um, leaning. And yeah. similarly in Edmonton, despite the results, again, not necessarily being there with Edmonton, um, he was always pretty successful in getting the Sharks to the playoffs during his time there. We'll see, I guess. We'll see. I just, uh, I do wonder if there is someone else for when this team is fully formed and you realize, okay, this is kind of the team we're going with. Right. Which we're not, you know, I thought we'd be close to that this season, but I still don't know. There's just too many. I mean, uh, listen, man. So, so, I mean, how so, long, sorry to cut you off. How long have we no, been saying like something's got to give, you know, someone's got to go at some point And I don't know. Now we'll see how it goes as we near the deadline, but. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, I was looking at this just the other day. We have one playoff win since 2014, I believe, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it should be San Jose. Yeah, one. Tanner Pearson and overtime. Right. I don't mean I don't mean a playoff series win. I mean yeah, (laughs) a playoff game. Right. We've made the playoffs twice since 2014. Got swept by. Uh, Vegas in their first season when they were a juggernaut and we've won one game in 15-16 against San Jose and then we lost that series 4-1 in that time we have now gone through uh, Daryl's last season then we had a John Stevens season which is when um, we that was the playoff season season, uh, against against Vegas right and then we had the Willie Desjardins season which was horrific in some ways. And then we've had uh, one and a half seasons, so to speak, with, with McClellan. So now this might be his third full season where the Kings very realistically might not make the playoffs. So at what point do you kind of go, this, is, this has not been working now for eight seasons with four different head coaches I don't know. I don't know how I, you know, we could talk about the coach, but I think when every time you talk about the coach, you have to think about the management as well. I think definitely, that's, definitely. But I don't know. Like it's very hard to grade Rob Blake right now because it's like the fruit of his drafting. We haven't but, seen it yet, right? Like we haven't really, we've seen glimpses of it, but we haven't really seen. Okay. This is what we got. And, and I've, I think we've always maintained like the rebuild is the easy part in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, we know being a GM and rebuilding is not easy, believe me. But, but I think in but the doing the things plan, that you're supposed yeah, to do yeah, I think selling, as a rebuild, you know, stocking up on picks, getting your draft picks, drafting best player available if you're drafting high. That's usually the way it goes. That doesn't take a cunning, smart, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't take much strategy, I guess. I think it's it's a strategy, but it doesn't take a lot of heavy lifting. I think scouting is important, of course, because your later round picks mean a lot 
you know, if you could hit on a second round or third rounder, Arthur Kalia being a prime example, should he continue to impress, I guess, maybe he has top six minutes. More <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I don't, it's hard to judge Blake right now. Although I will say, I think, and I'm only saying this because we said it at the time, we were not ecstatic about the Arvidsson, the no additions, thinking that, that those were going to be the building blocks or those were going to be the last two pieces of the playoff puzzle for this team. Uh, Deneau's done fine. Like, I don't – he is as advertised. I will give him that. He is exactly what was advertised unless you count the part where they were advertising that he's going to suddenly – open up offensively but his yeah. game historically like this this is who he is and this is his game this, this is his game. game and he's doing great he's doing everything that he's been doing and he's doing it at a high level i have no, no what else can you say about the guy like he this is his game and he's doing it better than most people at his level do it yeah yeah again maybe there's been a misunderstanding with how we've we've spoken about him the last little bit but it's not that i'm upset with him I'm upset with with the idea that he was brought in to do something that has never been his game. I don't blame him one bit for playing the way he has or signing for the money that was offered him. That's not the problem. The problem is that when you know that scoring is the biggest shortcoming of your team and has been so for the last several seasons, to sign a guy who's primarily been a defensive player is not the approach to sign to trade for a guy like Arvison, who you're hoping will be rebounding into a first line winger. It's just not the approach. These are second line, third line guys that you, that you get to complete a team. <laughs> to be fair, I think maybe, well, I can't say it for Dano. I didn't remind me of Arvidsson's contract after I finish what I'm saying here, but Arvidsson feels more of a stopgap type acquisition, whereas Deno feels like more of a hey, when when everything falls into place, he'll still be here, kind of. Then, guy. then you'll see, like you know, what we have down the middle. Well, Arvidsson's twenty eight and has two more years in addition to this year. Okay, so uh, two more on top of this one. Correct at four point two five. Okay, so that's less of a stopgap than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a core he, guy, but I he's mean, not you're, a core you're, guy. He's a complementary to your core guy, but who is your core is a big question right now. Mm-hmm. Because we know, obviously, other than the elder statesman Stanley Cup champions on the team, like who is your core? We're still trying to figure that out, obviously. So, yeah, who's your, who's your next yeah. core? I guess is is the question i'm guessing byfield and and cal are kind of the the two that i can say for sure um and on the defensive side of things that might still be to be determined maybe that's brant clark and he's still you better be season God damn it. yeah <laughs> but that's what i'm saying right like i think one of the reasons why what you mentioned about kind of blake's grade being incomplete is we haven't had that we haven't had that stud draft prospects still show up yet. And I think when you, when you nail that, 
guy, and maybe it's Byfield, maybe it's Clark, I don't know exactly yet, but when you have that guy who comes in and is immediately an impact player on your team, I think that that elevates your grade quite a bit because the team is lifted by a player like that. Yeah. Yeah, that and would be nice. It would be. It would be. But right now, like, maybe Kaliev can be that guy, but he's not going to be that guy playing fourth-line minutes with Lemieux and Lazard, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and although that line's been doing great work. It's not because of Kaliev, though. It's not, <laughs> right, Kaliev's it's not, not doing right, anything. He's, right. He's there to finish, and even then, Brendan Lemieux seems to be finishing <laughs> right now. Um, no, I agree with you. It could have been Byfield this year. Obviously, it still might be. Um, but, you know, and, and I know someone's yelling right now at me that like, not everyone can be McDavid and Matthews. I'm not. T- How about Matt Barzal at number 13? You know, something like that. No, I'm nothing crazy. Dude, you brought up Lucas Raymond. Why can't anyone be Lucas Raymond? Yeah. That's all I'm asking. You know, for for as many years as we've been stocking up on picks and trying to come out of the cup years and draft this guy and draft that guy and best prospect pool. And I love that stuff. No one, trust me, no one loves the draft and prospect grading and drafting and building more than me. I probably love that in some ways more than actually watching the team sometimes because there's always this like hope springs eternal thing part of my head, you know, that like this is the guy and he's going to be the guy. But I'm still waiting for that guy. I'm still waiting for the guy that shows up. And from game one, you're like, yup, nailed it. Yeah. Like Kopi did. Like, like Kopi did. Like a 20, 21-year-old. I'm trying to, like a Jordan Cairo at 22 or something. There you go. Just comes it's, a great, like, hey, it's a great example. Hey, I got 14 Genos this year, you know? And Gabe, man, Velarde, I, I haven't been following at all what's going on with him in Ontario. I'll be Yeah, that's worth talking about. That's worth talking Well, have, Ontario's had games um, postponed and stuff because of, like, the ice-making machine broke down. <laughs> Gabe had one game, had a great assist. Yeah. Uh, so he's only played that one game? I think so. Maybe one, maybe two at the most because they played Stockton and uh, back-to-backs, I think. Okay. I'll take a look while you're, while you're chatting. Yeah, and I think that has put a big damper on this season for me. Just mm. everything that's happened. Because we've loved Gabe. Since day one, we were ex- very excited to draft him. We were sad when his back was injured. We were thrilled when he came back, his first NHL goal. Lots of flashes of brilliance. And he, I think when you look at the grand scheme of what we expected this season, he was very much a big part of that and the strides that we anticipated him taking. And it's, you know, we're almost December here and it's been nothing, you know. Yeah, it's been and he tough. was out. He was out for two weeks with COVID. But even prior to that, it was like, and again, I'm not, I, I'm in no way putting him in the the bust category yet because I think he's extremely talented no, and no. has had a weird first few seasons. But he just hasn't had he hasn't had consistent reps. Reps meaning like opportunities. Although last year he played a lot, so. Um, I don't even know. Like I'm thinking about like Capo Caco was finally right. playing his game, and he took took him a second there too. You know what I mean? Well, it took him. A, it took him a different coach. It took him a completely different that coach too. before Caco finally started playing a different game. You know. And again, I'm not. I'm not putting this on Todd because 
I watch the games and there's a lot of times where I'm like, well, man, if he's not going to score, he's got to try harder. And I just see him not trying. He definitely wasn't before the COVID and getting sent down. So there's definitely an effort or lack thereof issue as well. I, uh, I, I'll, I'll just leave it at, I don't think that he's completely guilt-free in this equation. And I, I think he's just such an immensely talented guy. And especially when I see how he was playing in the preseason and he was bringing it every night, like controlling the game. And then it just completely evaporated in the regular season and his body language shifts, his effort shifts. I, I think that's part of figuring out how to be a pro is to just find the way to bring it every night, even when the results are not there. And he's just, he just hasn't done it so far for various reasons. Yeah, he's played two games. He has one assist. What does Martin Furk have to do to get a call-up? Dude. Furk, Anderson Dolan? I, I, I cannot believe Anderson Dolan has not played an NHL game this season. Like, it's just, it blows my mind. <laughs> Furk has 47 shots on goal in 14 games. And it's 47. confusing. In 14 games. It's it's just very confusing. It's very confusing stuff. I yeah. I am I am all for giving Arthur Kaliev a chance. I'm all for giving Rasmus Kupari a chance. But when the results aren't there and you got a guy and maybe they're maybe they're concerned about losing Firk. I don't know. Uh at this point I don't know if he would have to be. How many times has he cleared waivers? Well, yeah, I don't think he has to clear at this point because he's cleared once before. So as long as they don't keep him on the roster for over 30 days and then try to send him down, he should be okay. But Anderson Dolan, I don't understand because I think he's not, I think he's waiver exempt as well. I mean, he's got 12 points in 14 games. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe things will change after December once, <laughs> once they definitely dip into the red because they will. There, there's no way I, I would be absolutely shocked if they escaped December with an over 500 record. Yeah. Alex Turcott not playing bad. Catch him. You know, and, and we were kind of concerned about this too, that they were going to have too many forwards and too many bodies and not know what to do about it. Um, for a brief period there, it seemed like, okay, with COVID and injuries, maybe that was some some nice foresight on their part. But now you're back to this you know too many forwards not enough spots no one knows where they're supposed to play what are these guys in the ahl supposed to do to get to get a chance it's very confusing stuff and now you got anaheim coming up on tuesday first time playing against them and and they're doing surprisingly well led by troy terry of all people go figure yeah terry zegris having himself a season you know what's the most interesting thing about Anaheim? And I was looking at this, and it's one of the main reasons why the Kings have not been able to do much. Look at their defensive stats. Look at their defensemen and the points that they're putting up. The Kings right now have, I believe, two defensemen who have scored a goal. Yeah. Maybe maybe three, but I think it's only two. And they are Sean Jersey and Drew Doughty. Yeah. No, it's, I think you're right. It's two. Yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah. The Although Ducks are getting... Alex Edler made a nifty little play. Right. He did. But that's not a goal. 
He did. And he had one that we thought was his, but it actually ended up being a tip by Kempi, I believe. So meanwhile, you have Anaheim getting consistent production from Shattenkirk, from uh, Jamie Drysdale, from um, Lindholm chipping in. Lindholm chipping in. Uh, Fowler is chipping in. These guys from the back end are putting up points and they're offensive players. Shattenkirk is about as pure an offensive defenseman as you're going to find. Okay. Cam Fowler is mostly offensive. Jamie Drysdale is a rookie and his defensive numbers are putrid. It's so sometimes it's maybe just letting these players who have been successful at certain things play to their strengths. And I think that's a big reason why the Kings are not, are not doing very well from an offensive standpoint, because they're not getting any production from the back end right now. And yet they insist on not playing offensively talented defensemen. Go figure. Kings are five, three, and two in their last ten. Mm-hmm. Which is surprising to me, actually. Yeah, in their five, in their losing streak, they lost a couple in overtime. So yeah, good on them that for helps. taking it that far. Yeah, yeah. Gold yeah. differential is okay. It's a minus one. Um, but again, December, man, I'm just like, December has the makings of like Seattle leapfrogging them, Mm -hmm. which would be tough to watch. Yeah. I think, I mean, right now, if you look at the standings and I'm sure someone's looking at it going, why are they, you know, sky is falling this conversation there you know, three points out of a playoff spot there. To be clear, I don't think this is a sky is falling thing it's just ha, what have you seen that where hope springs eternal yeah where you have the utmost confidence and yet yeah, all these guys can return from injury and i guess things can turn around but at the same time like when when you go up against good teams that are playing proactive hockey and you're playing passive hockey i just don't know how much personnel is going to change that. Yeah. Which, by the way, it seems for all intents and purposes that Drew is probably going to be back maybe even tomorrow, man. Yeah. Like weeks ahead of schedule. You guys are listening. Right, right. Yeah, Tuesday. Weeks ahead of schedule, which is just classic Drew Doughty. God bless him for it. And uh, Byfield is already out there skating in a non-contact jersey, so that bodes well, too. But that's all you that's all you really have. That's if that's all you can really hope for at this point, because I think everyone else is who you think they are. I follow is having nice runs, but then slowing down. Kempi's having his usual streaky scoring and then slowing down. You got some unexpected production from Lazat and Lemieux. Now Lemieux's probably gonna be out for a few games. Um You were gonna touch on uh the playoff or excuse me, the uh the points and how the Kings are probably only a few points out of third. Right. Right. So Anaheim's in third right now with 25 points in 22 games. Vegas, who has started to turn it around now has uh, 24 points in 21 games. Um, and it's cramped, right? So you got 25, 24, 23, and then there's the Kings with 21 um, with a couple games in hand. So I'm sure people are looking at this and going, they're right there. They could, they could jump right into that third spot. And I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying that I think that 
you know, we always knew Edmonton and Vegas were going to be contending there. And I feel like Vegas has more potential to, to write the ship than the Kings do. Absolutely. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me on that. And then you have Calgary who has just come out completely, you know, guns blazing and playing really, really well. So now the, I, I think you're, if, if your hope is that you're going to beat Vegas for a third spot in the Pacific or that you're somehow going to succeed in getting a wild card spot, spot from the likes of Colorado, Nashville, and Anaheim with what they're doing, that's not a great position to be in, man. That's all I'm saying is I, I think you're you're in a tough spot. You knew this was going to be an uphill battle, and the beginning of your schedule was easier, and you, you didn't get the points you were supposed to get. And now you're going into December and playing the toughest stretch of your schedule and hoping that you don't come out of there with your confidence completely shattered and then somehow turn it around over the next four months. It's not an enviable position to be in. Yeah, I think in the beginning of the season, we thought third place was wide open. Mm -hmm. But a part of us saying third place was wide open was that we felt the Calgary Flames were going to be out on the outside looking in that's not going to happen anymore because they're the best team in the yeah. nhl right now and i'm not yeah. talking about statistically i'm talking about watch their games they are a nightmare to play against they are playing 2012 to 2014 la kings hockey mm -hmm. they are suffocating they score um their goal differentials plus 29 it's wild they are the best first period team in the nhl i think by far and I can't believe I'm saying this, but they arguably have the best coach in hockey right now. Man, insane, insane times. Uh, so with Calgary basically being a lock at this point, I mean, it's early, but come on. Yeah. The old cliche is by Thanksgiving, 75% right. chance to blah, 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 blah. We've said that before. Um, yeah, I, I think Vegas is going to turn it on. Um, I think they, you know, they still drop games, but once they get healthy, once they get all their horses back, once Eichel is playing, I would not want to play that team. They are primed to go on like a 10 game winning streak mm -hmm. at any point, I think. And then on top of that, you got San Jose who's rolling. I mean, they're not rolling, but they, they just beat these teams. They're not supposed to beat. Right. On yeah, they won tonight, night, didn't they? On any given night, they can go in and beat the best teams in hockey and you will just sit there scratching your head yeah sorry they won last night they beat um uh the blackhawks 2-0 easy game got the points you know right but again in preseason i would have told you chicago should win that game right and now it's an easy game for san jose right um anaheim like you said so there's a lot of work to do and once Vegas starts rolling, Edmonton's not going to slow down. I highly doubt Calgary is going to slow down. No, no. And that looks like you're likely one, two, and three, which means the Kings are battling for a wild card spot. And like you mentioned, Colorado is currently fourth. Yeah. In the Central. Yeah. And they're not probably going to finish fourth in the Central, which means someone who's in the top is going to drop down. And there are good teams there, man. There's, you know, Minnesota, St. Louis, Winnipeg, Colorado, Nashville's pissing me off and playing well <laughs> just for fun. Yeah. Colorado, by the way, is in fourth with a plus 17 goal differential. They've only played 18 games. 
So, you know, you can't just look at the points is all I'm saying. You have to look at like, this is not going to be easy. It's going to be really bad by the end of December. And then you're going to be right back to where you were going into the trade deadline, wondering, okay, who's getting moved, you know? And that's, that's what I'm foreseeing right now. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm just looking ahead and preparing myself because I, I don't see us making the playoffs. And I really just, don't. Just to clarify, we're not saying like these are automatic losses either. You could show up on December 2nd against Calgary and, you know, steal one there. There's a Vancouver game there. There's a Dallas game in there in December. And there's an Arizona game or two Vancouver games. The rest is very scary. But again, there's no reason why you can't steal some games here. It's just you have to look at likelihood. You're going to have to try to outscore Florida and, and Edmonton. You're going to try to outscore Tampa Bay, Carolina, Washington when they're healthy. And they will be healthy by December 19th. Yeah. On, on the surface, if you look at this right now, the December schedule, just based on like what's a better team, what's a worse team, I think there's there should be three to four wins in the form of the two Vancouver games, Dallas, Arizona. Not saying that for sure are going to, but those are the three or four that you have the best chance of winning. The rest, you are playing against legitimate playoff slash cup contending teams. Not like, are they going to squeak in? Like, these are these are all the teams that are in the tops of the divisions or top of the league comparing, you know, going back and forth. And you're talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. A four and ten record in December buries you, absolutely buries you. Yeah, and that's a very like square way to look at it. Obviously, you're just looking at, hey, these teams are. No, I, I'm not. Don't get offended, Vardy. Um, but I can't look at it any way other than the square way right now. Right. And if they do look, if they manage to come out of December smelling like roses. They have, then you look at January, there's a handful of winnable games there. Yeah, you got the Rangers twice. That's no fun. But there's a handful of winnable games there. And if they could get a decent December and a strong January, then then we can talk. I'm going to predict they go 5, 8, and 1 in December. Better than I thought. And I think that will still be enough to bury them. It'll be tough. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be tough, man. Because they're one game over 500 now. Mm-hmm. And even if they went 500. You're, you're still, still the 500 team. In, in, yeah. When January starts. And that's rough. And that's rough. So we'll see. Look. It is what it is. We will still watch. We will still cheer. That's what we've been doing for a couple of years now. Yeah. And if nothing else, I want to see if Byfield's the guy we think he is. If Dowdy can come back and play as well as he was. If Arthur Kaliev can actually get first line minutes, if they're going to bother playing him on an NHL roster. 
you know, I'll find storylines. I'll find things to keep me interested. Even when they're losing, I'm interested. That's not the point. The point is that when do they stop losing? <laughs> uh, well, they stopped losing against Ottawa, as we mentioned. Damn right. Um, but something else happened in that game. Brady Kachuk accusing Brandon Lemieux of trying to eat him, <laughs> essentially. And I didn't watch it live. I saw every replay I could find of it. Very hard to see on any camera angle what was going on in there. Um, I think there's a couple instances where, yes, Kachuk's hand was near Lemieux's face. I Look, I was wrong about Brendan Lemieux, man. Last year, I really went in on him. I, I thought he was coasting. I thought he didn't care. He looked like he didn't want to be on the ice. He looked like he would rather be anywhere else. This season, he came out and he was a different player. I commend him for that. He's been everything and more that you could ask from him on that fourth line. That being said, I have a hard time believing anyone would react the way Brady Kachuk reacted if they were not bitten in the hand. Mm -hmm. And I'm just being a human being. I'm not being a Kings fan here. I'm just looking at the way he popped up and how irate he was. That's a weird thing to just kind of pop up out of a scrum and and immediately say or lie about. Mm -hmm. I I try to give both guys the benefit of the doubt, but just that visceral reaction he had, man... I think he bit him. <laughs> like that's, I think, I think he bit him. But I mean, I also think Brady Chuck went a little too far with his post-game scrum. I think he was emotional and he just kind of went out for blood, try to hurt Brendan Lemieux's reputation as best he could. And probably said some things that years down the line, he'll look back on and say, okay, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Not that Brendan Lemieux had a sterling reputation. No, but that's coming not, into this. But that's fine. But I mean, that was harsh, you know. And I think that's why Jonathan Quick had that reaction he had, right? Um, which is, you know, that's just a teammate thing. I think that's a locker room thing more than anything. And I do think, you know, Jonathan Quick's right. I think he Brendan Lemieux does want to stick up for his teammates, and he is probably a decent locker room guy. Although I've never been in an NHL locker room with him. I have a hard time believing, just like I have a hard time believing Brady Kachuk would lie. I have a hard time believing Jonathan Quick would just come out and lie for the sake of I think, the locker room. I, I think it it's kind of a powder keg situation, right? Like, Lemieux plays on the edge. Um, up until this point, I feel like he's managed that well so far this season. And as you pointed out, is has used his aggressive play to to benefit the team and played well and and showed that tenacity in the right way. But I think it takes a special kind of player, a Brady Kachuk kind of player, to... (laughs) Tip him over the edge. Yeah, to to bring out that, like, that element of him that you know is kind of in there, and he's been keeping at bay. Yeah, that's a player he could really sink his teeth into. there, There it is. There it is. Thank you. Thank you very much. I will see but, myself out. It will be already <laughs> for the remainder of the episode. But you know what I mean. Like the totally. like the Marshawns, the Alex Burroughs kind of player that you're just like, it doesn't take much yeah, for this guy to like. they got a little like, rat bastard in him. Yeah. You know? And you yeah. know it's been going on all game. It's not just like a one-time event. You know, he's been, they've been drawing probably all game. And I'm not saying he was right to do it. Clearly not. 
and he's going to get punished for it. And he's going to get suspended for it most likely. Although I haven't seen any, anything definitive here's yet, a, but here, here's the question about that. Like, what are they basing that on? Like there's, unless they have angles, which they probably do actually, now that I think about it, unless they have <laughs> camera angles that none, no one's seen in the public. Are I they mean, going... I'd like to think at least the linesman there maybe saw something and they'll, they'll That's weigh true. in I mean, on they that. did throw him out for that. He did get ejected for biting. Yeah. So there had to have been some kind of evidence there, right? You would think. Right. And I'm sure, God, this is going into like CSI stuff, but I'm sure they took photos of his hands and and yeah. all this stuff. So the fact that they offered him an in-person hearing, I think, automatically carries some level of suspension, yes, doesn't yes, it? That's, that's been the. It's not yeah. a phone hearing; it's an in-person hearing. Yeah. Like I said, I think he bit him, and 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 I'm. Basing that on just the reaction of this guy right. was so, he was just, <laughs> he was flabbergasted. I, I, he was stunned that he was bitten and like, I like Brady Kachuk. I, I think I've said this on this podcast, like, shit, man, give me Brady Kachuk. I love his game. I think he's, he's still so young. He's going to be a great player. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll see. I, it's, I, <laughs> I didn't think we we're going to talk about a bite anytime this season yeah, or any yeah. season but here we are yeah and it would suck for lemieux because there's so much positive momentum he's built now as right. a player i think he's having a great season he's he's doing the right things he's at times been the only one generating offense and i don't know how many games they're looking at but i don't know brad yeah. marchand just got three for a slew foot i believe so yeah i think i think uh, he's at least you, three to five i yeah, think three to five that to well, maybe the Alex Burroughs bite Mar- from... I think Marshawn bit someone, too, at some point. There you go, yeah. Right? I don't and know, man. licked people. Marshawn's a weird guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the strangest suspensions. Uh, so, anyway. Um, anything else going on in the league? Ovi? Ovi still a lot going anything? on in the league. All right. I don't even know where to begin. Well, Ovi, I... Ovi, he's going to do it. Still going strong. I can't Just wait. Believe it. He's 146 away. Come it's on now. It's good to see. It's good to it's, see. It's coming, and God, it's going to be so great for hockey, man. It's going to be. When's the last time hockey had a moment like that, where they stopped the game, where like all attention was on this game? Yeah. I tell you when? 1993. <laughs> or, excuse me. That was March 94 when when Gretzky got 802. They stopped the game. It was like. This big media thing, like Gordy Howe came onto the ice. They brought cars onto the ice. It was the wildest shit I ever saw. Like, <laughs> they gave him a record book. Like he was surrounded. Yeah, the media flooded. It was so great. And I think we need something. Hockey needs something like that. It's been a long time. He's second in points. He's he's past McDavid at this point. He's between McDavid and Drysaddle, which in and of itself is amazing, given the man's age and you know. John Butchercross had a great tweet where, you know, everyone's talking about him chasing the record. And I think he he tweeted something like, the best part is like, he's probably secretly not even thinking about 895. He's thinking about scoring a thousand goals. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I thought about it. I'm like, that's probably true. (laughs) The goal for him is probably 1000, not Mm -hmm. to break Gretzky's record. He's probably thinking, how long do I need to play? The calculations are... How long do I need to play to score a thousand? 
amazing amazing yeah and once he gets to 900 you know (sighs) and and if he's still feeling it all of a sudden you're like okay (laughs) like maybe he can get a thousand and now i think once he scores a thousand he should just get off the ice (laughs) and just be like i'm done (laughs) this is my retirement i'm not shooting the puck anymore this game and i will be finished after this game so you saw, I, I sent you this article that basically he's keeping every single stick he scores a goal with now. And his house is apparently just a, a lumber yard at this point with just sticks and the number of the goal that he scored on them. And none of them are going to the Hall of Fame. He's, he says he, he plans on keeping every single one. <laughs> and he plans on his sons just walking in one day and apparently, I don't know, building a fort out of his sticks. I don't know. But Tell me that's not a guy who knows he's going to break. Oh, 100%. He, he knows. He knows without a shadow of a doubt. And you know what's going to happen? Every single goal he scores past 892 is going to just be an even bigger celebration. Because that feeling, that feeling of like everyone that I score at this point is just pushing the record even farther. I think that's what he lives for. I think he lives for that moment. Right. And I am here for that. I'm all about that. I have a question. Hmm. If and when or whatever he breaks the record, where does he rank in the pantheon of greats? Like Overall, you mean? Overall, yeah. I'm talking about overall because I've historically touted Crosby as he's going to be top five when he, when he retires. But with each passing day, Vardy, I question myself because – if if you break this record, how are you not considered a top five player of all time? In in my mind, it would it might already be this way because I've just enjoyed watching his game so much, but in my mind I think it goes Gretzky, Lemieux, How or Ovi. That's that's how I would rank it. Tough crowd. I'm just saying. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I really don't because Sid will will go down as you know a lock top ten player of all. I don't mm-hmm. even, don't even talk to me about that. But you cannot ignore 900 goals. You cannot. And the, just the fun he's having, and the fact that he's doing it at his age, and there's no signs of slowing down. And I know I'm jinxing him right now by saying all this, but. He's he's know. just a How phenomenon, you... man. He's more than a player. He's he's like a he he's like a, a in his own plane. You know, McDavid's kind of like that too, where it's just like exists on a level that no yeah. one else really. And that's another guy. Like, what's he gonna be when he's done? I think <laughs> the one thing that McDavid needs is is some wins, not individual, sure, but, but like it took Ovi how long? I know. I'm not saying he's not you gonna know, get I'm there. I'm not worried about his wins. No, no, no. I'm not saying he's not going to get there, but I'm saying, like, the potential is definitely there for him to, like, creep into that top five. Because he's, he's the phenomenal. These guys are phenomenal. And, and we say this a lot, like, we're, we're blessed to be able to watch these guys and know that they're going to be that good. A lot of times you don't realize how good they are until it's already done. And we're, we're blessed to be able to watch them play like that. You know? So I don't blame you one bit for 
the game didn't end up the way you thought it would, but I think that was a it was a great choice of a game to go to. And never have I wanted an opponent to score worse. Oh yeah, I get I you. Wanted Ovechkin. I I want him to get eight ninety three against the Kings. How about that? <laughs> the record is actually eight ninety five. I want him to get eight ninety six. I don't know why I thought it was maybe I'm you know what well, I'm Gretzky doing. Ovechkin had making... eight ninety four. Yeah, I, I'm taking eight hundred two, and I'm I'm melding in my brain. Yes, you're right. So that's that. Anything else going on in the um, league worth mentioning? I'm trying to think. New York doing well. The Rangers Buffalo's doing terrible, well. Yeah. Rangers are doing well. I like the Rangers. I like that team. I like Gerard. No, no, no. I think there's a big separation between the haves and the have-nots right now in in the league. Like, I look at the Metropolitan Division, you it's like... You reminded me of something great that we could talk yeah, about. You said go habs. for it. You said habs, and uh, habs not. Oh, boy. How did I miss that one? Boy, oh, boy. Six wins, go 16 for losses, minus 30 goal differential for the Canadians. Um, only one team worse in goal differential. <laughs> I don't think I need to talk about who that is. Yeah. But uh, it's the team that beat the Kings, the Arizona Coyotes, minus 37. <laughs> they, man, man. And they recently cleaned house. Mark Bergevin, the biggest fraud GM of all time, leaves town. So sad. What a sad day for Les Habitants. A happy day in Los Angeles for me. I had a big smile on my face. I wish nothing but ill will on the Montreal Canadiens organization. <laughs> they're just you know what it is they're just so predictable they're just so predictable and this is why you and i could not bring ourselves to cheer them on with their little cup run their cup final run i should say last season because underneath that shiny veneer is this rotten core of how they operate, so to speak. And and even now when they're firing, like Molson comes out and goes, if I knew what a tough job it was gonna be, I would have I would have made sure there was someone else with Bergevin. It's like, man, <laughs> man, you can't even like you can't even fire a guy who we don't like without without like spitting on him one more time before he goes like this and this is their existence this is their existence like there's this air of i don't know expectation and an arrogance that is built on ancient history ancient ancient history you know and and maybe if i wasn't a king's fan and maybe if their last cup wasn't built on the bones of a king's loss it wouldn't hurt me as much, but they just, it's tough, man. It's tough for me because there's some players that have been Canadians who I, I love, you know, Guy Lafleur obviously being one of them. And then, um, Beliveau, like these guys who are elder statesmen and amazing representatives of the game. But I think that era of Canadians hockey has led to whatever it is that it, that is running the team now that just exudes this ugh, kind of feeling every time I think about them. Yeah. Yeah. At the draft, they, 
front and center in the ugh department with their draft pick. And then yeah, um, exactly. They, they, exactly. Hired, they hired Jeff Gordon, right, mm-hmm. to be the executive vice president of hockey operations. Right, right. Which is a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because he doesn't speak French. Right. And so now they're going to hire a general manager. A puppet GM, French, right? Just to do the paper transactions for him, right? And, and do the translations, the right? And to announce their picks in French whenever they get up and. <laughs> I mean, I, it's... Look, I have nothing against anything French. I have family who lives in Paris, and like that's I not even the, the hell po- out of the French. Right, that's provinces. not even the point. This has nothing to do with that. This is just effing hilarious to me that you can't have. A competent, clearly this guy is competent, right? When the, he was fired from the Rangers, like everyone threw flags on the play, like, dude, you know, you're jumping the gun. There was a lot of talk about that he didn't deserve right. to be fired. He built that team. Um, you got a competent guy. Just let him be the guy. What is? What are you doing? What is this? You're gonna bring in a? What he's gonna work him like a puppy? He's gonna put his well, hand up saying. his ass and like. That's what I'm saying. It's like, won't both those guys be insulted at this point? And then the best part is the justification for it ends up being again on the bones of Mark Bergevin's failure by saying, "Oh man, it was such a tough job for Mark Bergevin to do on his own. Clearly, the solution now is to create two separate positions. But I have to have at least one of those guys." be a francophone because otherwise it won't work it, it just i don't know dude i don't know it's so much of it is like eye-rollingly hilarious to me that <laughs> i want tyler to to write a new players tribune article <laughs> i was always meant to be a half two words my bad <laughs> <laughs> my bad i didn't think it through we were in a playoff uh... run things were great that's right. You know, we had Carey Price who carried us the whole way. Good yeah. stuff. They are terrible. They so bad. And I'm enjoying they, all of it. I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll turn it around in like 10 years or something, but it, whatever. Uh, It'll it's interesting stuff. As a result of some locker room guy measuring sticks or something. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. What episode are we on here? I have to remind myself. Uh, seventy-eight. It is because we did seventy-seven. So that was fun. This will not be fun. Well, let's see here. I I can't imagine there'll be too many of them. It's another one of those weird numbers, right? I'm sure there'll be a couple, some rookie numbers that I'm not going to get. Mm, so. mm, 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 mm. Let's see here. There is one and only one, my friend, and is a very recent one. Yeah, I was worried about that. Mm-hmm. Not that many, not that many NHL games, but this name, oh my God, I've heard this name endless numbers of times. How recent are we talking? Five years? Oh yeah. Less than that. Way less than that? Like, uh, I'll tell you 17, 18 is when you, when you heard this name first. Okay. Got it. No, we're 17. And and he falls again into that that Michael Mersh, Paul Ledoux. Watch out for this guy. He's a coming. 
It was a Matt Johnny Brodzin- was Johnny Brodzinski. Nope, he's of that era though. He's of that era. Brods was seventy six, so it's not him. Uh, no, so you no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I just mean in terms of like. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're that talking. that prospect tier of sleeper. <laughs> What if I give you position? Will that help? Okay. I think it will. Defense. Damn it. I knew it was going to be defense. Well, that, that narrows it down considerably. <sighs> yeah, it does. Um, I'm just drawing blanks. And I'm going to be pissed when you say it, which is a tradition. Most likely. And, and just like always, someone is yelling right now. It's probably Jesse Cohen. Stop yelling at me, Jesse. <laughs> You deserve it. Let him have it, Jesse. <laughs> All right, tell me. Daniel Brickley. Daniel Brickley. I had high hopes for Danny Brickley. That's there you go. Damn it. But right into that tier, right? What He's, happened to him? Uh he never he played like five games at the Kings. He played a few games with Ontario. I forget who he's with now. He might be off in Europe, truthfully. Wow. Just never really came around, man. Never really came around. Very Colton Tubert-esque. Mm, another good one. Another good one. But yeah, he was he was with he was part of the, the Kings organization up until this season, I believe. Hold on, let me see. He signed with someone in the AHL. Hold on. I forget who. Uh Chicago Wolves. He's he's on a one year deal with the Chicago Wolves. Is he one of those guys that the mayor really loved? There's a mayor loves me all star team. <laughs> Love Brickley, Cliff Mersh, Andrea, Mersh, <laughs> Brodzinski. Oh, yeah. oh big love, some, big love for Brodzinski. And look, I'm not hating on him. He sees these guys play, yeah, it's and just funny. it's just yeah. <laughs> it's just funny. You know, we all have those guys. It's just yeah, Gabe. <laughs> we will forever. I'm gonna be talking about Gabe six years from now. My God, seriously, <laughs> gonna die on the Gabe Velarde hill when he's age yeah. 27. Right, We're, Kovalchuk is one of that one of those guys for there us. There you go. There you go. We're, Maybe we'll do that one day. We'll defend we'll, his we'll, honor. We'll we'll put together the Bannerman All Star team. Yeah. <laughs> <Of> just. <laughs> Kale Clay is gonna be the starting defenseman apparently. Goddamn right. <laughs> Uh, all righty. Well, this was fun. I appreciate this. I, I enjoy a good vent. Yeah, uh, it wasn't even that bad. It was just sad. No, no, not at all. But I, it, it helps me. It, it it fortifies me for the upcoming uh, losing streak that I'm, I anticipate. I'm excited for these December episodes, I got to say. Oh, I'm man. sure during Christmas time, we'll have a, another layoff. Um, kids, family. Mm-hmm. My kid just got over a cold. I know your daughter just... Yeah, getting over a cold, so those are always fun. But ebbs and flows, you know how it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ducks on Tuesday. Maybe they win that one. Must win. I I would say so. I think that's a big. I think that's a big statement oh, game, especially if Dowdy actually comes back and plays that game. I think that's a that'd be a good game to win, knowing what's coming up in December. So. We'll see what they do. Yeah. Especially because the Maple Leafs just beat up on us and the Ducks back to back. So 
Maybe we're not so far apart after all. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. As always, uh, please subscribe, rate, review. We love all those things. The Twitter interaction, we're much better at the Twitter interaction than the than the whole podcast recording thing, as you would imagine. But we're there, and we like responding, and we like chatting it up. Uh, I, I got to say, one thing we, we didn't really acknowledge, I acknowledged it a little bit on Twitter, but we hit 410 followers today on the on the Twitter account, and it still kind of blows my mind that that many people actually care what we say on a minute to minute basis. So just heartfelt thanks to all of you who uh, follow along and participate and listen to the podcast. Um, Pretty much available anywhere you find podcasts these days. All right. So until next time, this is Vardy signing off for my buddy, Cotto. Okay. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast.